0: Hello, America, and happy Independence Day, or the day after we're celebrating all weekend long. I hope you have been, maybe with a Kansas City steak. Uh, That's what I did this weekend. Uh, We are here the day after the 245th birthday of um, America, and we're grateful for all who have served, for all who have created the incredible experiment of democracy and constitutional republic that america is and uh, today we have a very special guest an american hero a man who has served his country first in the navy then as a special operator then in the va and today both in the va and in the private sector he has given voice to our men and women on the Fighting Forces of America. His name is Jason Beardsley. You've seen him on Fox. You've read his columns. He's really one of the most important thinkers in the military security space today. And we are lucky on this, the federal holiday for the 4th of July, to have him here talking with us, giving us wisdom on everything from Afghanistan to Iran and from a, a real... Candid perspective, I think he's gonna talk a little bit about the tension between the woke agenda that some in the Biden administration are imposing on the military and the mission of the military and the gaps in military readiness that our uh, military commanders are acknowledging in public. We're falling behind China, particularly naval power, according to our US leaders, Not, not according to some think tank, not according to some foreign power, not according to some propaganda, Our military leaders are saying we have a gap in hardware capabilities. Uh, I think the gap is about 60 ships below what we need to defend against a potential conflict with China. God forbid, we don't want that to happen. But if it did happen, we're not ready. And yet we're working on other issues. We're talking about enemies within our ranks. We're talking about getting um, connected to our inner white Rage, I think that's the word that um, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff recently used. Uh, It seems like we ought to get more connected with the needs of our military and get us to the number one supreme position of where we need to be according to our military assessments. Hey, China's not backing down. They're not slowing down. I don't think they got any woke agendas in their um, military. Today, Jason's gonna talk about that. He's been writing some very important columns about morale, wokeism, preparedness, readiness, and uh, on this, the day after celebrating 245 amazing years as the United States of America, it is important to concentrate on these issues, to give voice to these issues, to give facts behind these issues. We're not gonna give you spin. One of the great things about Jason is he just gives you straight out facts, straight out assessments. And um, that's why we're bringing him on the show today. I hope you enjoy him. I know I'm going to. I'm a gigantic fan, and uh, uh, I'm actually surprised it took us this long to get him on the show. We should have had him on a long time ago. He is really one of the great strategic thinkers um, in and out of the military today, and uh, you're going to get to see that yourself in just a few seconds. All right, we're going to go to that regular commercial break. Remember... Do what you can to support our amazing sponsors and advertisers. You know them all. We shout them out on this show regularly. And uh, if you like what we do, buy one of their products, subscribe to one of their services. Let them know you love them very much. All right. Off to the commercial break. We'll be right back after this brief advertising message.
1: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect
0: impress them on the third date guacamole? All right, folks. Welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, on this day after the Fourth of July, a very special guest, an American hero, somebody that continues in public service to this very moment, joining us right now is Jason Beardsley. He's been uh, has is an advisor to the VA, a uh, former special operator, retired special operator for the Army, began his career in the Navy, and most importantly, has started a group called the Association of the U.S. Navy that is fighting for the issues that matter to our fighting men and women. And we're so grateful to have him with us today. Jason,
1: welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Mr. Solomon. I'm I'm happy to be here, and uh, a real happy uh, Fourth of July to you and, and the audience as well. I hope hope the celebrations uh, were uh, went off with a bang.
0: I hope so too. And it feels good to be 245 years old young. I guess we should say we're 254 <laughs> years young. Uh, we're yeah. just a baby country still and growing in all of our greatness. Although yeah. sometimes you'd have a hard time telling when you read the news today, but uh, it's <laughs> it's still the greatest country man ever envisioned, and uh, we're so lucky. And it's because of people like you. I mean, your your service is remarkable. But before we get into the issues, just tell me a little bit about what, what you did in the service, because uh, you started in the Navy, you jumped to the Army, you are a special operator, got to the rank of Master Sergeant, but you, you had some pretty important deployments too, didn't you?
1: Sure. I was a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed uh, uh, young man, and I, I wanted nothing more than to uh, be part of our special operations experience. So when I went into the Navy, I uh, envisioned becoming a SEAL and uh, really did the training. This was early 90s, but um, ended up with some medical uh, issues that uh, sent me to the fleet. So I got to do the Persian Gulf War as a sailor, and and that was an incredible experience around the world on uh, projection of power in our vessels. I've come back to that later in my career, but I wasn't done uh, and left the Navy in 94 and, and then found uh, the Army Green Berets, which is this really unique uh, component. Where they sure you know, are, guys like these could get along and go overseas and do great things, and and that of course, post nine eleven, led us down the the long road to kind of uh, push back against sort of the violent extremists and terrorism uh, overseas in Iraq, and I did a lot in Africa. So uh, coming out of all that, um, I just am more and more convinced that, uh, as you said, this is the greatest country in the history of the world, and and deserves everything we can pour into it.
0: Well, you. Um... It's because of the goodness of folks like you that have dedicated your life to our freedom that we, we continue to be free. So we are forever grateful for your service and your uh, extraordinary heroism in, in the service of your country. We, we really do honor you and we thank you. Um, you're an entrepreneur as well. I just want to get this out because this is sort of fun. Uh, you're the CEO of the Underground Movement, which makes some pretty cool t shirts and apparel. Tell us a little bit about this.
1: Well, this was a, a, an endeavor when I left the military, um, we we left it a couple of years ago to come in and do the work in, in D.C., but I knew that uh, the real uh, response of our audience should be something like, this country is great, we have these amazing legacies from Teddy Roosevelt to George Washington, and the heroism that made this country what it what it is today has to be remembered, it has to be honored. And we just didn't feel like that was being done as well in the marketplace so we wanted people to be able to come to the pride or the affiliation of this brand brand america in a way that was kind of commercial and sexy and fun and and so we did a lot of work to try to build a great product with that but as you know the marketplace is this wonderful battlefield of ideas and uh, a lot of things have to go right to get it right uh we did a we ended up with 12 stores and about 50 employees Uh, But came to a point where we either had to make some really hard decisions or uh, kind of wind the thing down. And it was right as a call to serve inside uh, the administration for the Department of VA uh, was really kind of uh, weighing in on me. So we decided to kind of close shop and, uh, you know, show the thing and come in and do the, do the Lord's work here.
0: That's important work, and, and uh, we're grateful for that. Taking care of our veterans is such an important thing, and we haven't done a very good job over the history of our country, <laughs> at least certainly in the last 20 years. So we're grateful that you're helping out at the VA and and uh, honoring all those there. Let's talk about the issues of the day. We have a wonderful defense reporter here at Just the News, uh, Susan Keating who does great work, and she— recently wrote a story uh, saying that there are many in the Navy, both rank and file and veterans, who are worried that there's too much focus on a woke agenda and not enough focus on readiness and and ships and, and capabilities, particularly as China continues to grow its naval fleet. Talk about this tension between the social engineering agenda of the Democrats who are now in power and the core mission of our military, which is to keep us safe and to keep ahead of our enemies' capabilities. How is that playing out?
1: Sure, that's actually a great uh, place to start, is what you said is the core mission of our Department of Defense and uh, Navy and uh, Marine Corps. Those those missions are really Essentially you know, focused on defeating enemies, and to do that, you know we apply things like principles of war, so combat readiness and effectiveness, or morale. Those two feed into a lot of things, and morale is something like how do you retain uh, service members once they're in? How do you recruit them before they're in? And so your morale really has to be high, and when it's really high, you get good training, you get good response, and you get great service, and you get people to stay in, you know, in the services. So we think those focuses are so important. As you said, uh, our Department of Defense has focused now like a laser beam on great power competition. What that means is we envision ourselves having to stand up to China, having to stand up to near peers like Russia and Iran. Well, we've said over and over again, our senior leadership in the Navy, that we need about 355 ships to do that. And uh, recently, what we've seen is a focus not on building ships and not on filling uh, the ranks with great service members, but rather going through the ranks, and I'm going to use the words of Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin in this hearing, to define or find the enemy that lies within. <laughs> so if you can imagine, wow. you know, the seniors uh, in our Department of Defense are now focused on finding enemies within, or in the in the case of, say, uh, what we saw recently with General uh, Milley, Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff, He says in in front of Congress that this is uh, part of what he wants to do is understand his own white rage. So uh, in in some ways and forms, when they focus on things that are uh, potentially issues or possibly about diversity, uh, we're missing the bigger point. We don't have enough boats to keep up. We're at about 296. And again, the Navy says we need 355. So we just want to know what is the plan to kind of pace China and why aren't we listening to the senior leaders in the Navy? That, that's, that's the real problem.
0: Yeah, it is. And uh, we're going to wake up one day uh, regretting that 60 ship gap. Uh, if uh, God forbid anything happens in the world and we need to respond to a, to a China aggression. And uh, I know a lot of people worry about Taiwan. So uh, right. we, we know we've got that, that moment on the horizon, potentially. Uh, how do everyday men and women who wore the uniform and fought for our country and did the heroic things, got wounded, lost loved ones. How do they react to this sudden idea that somehow the military, our military is the enemy, that there is some mythical, magical, or real um, hatred of America within our ranks. And we therefore have to be weeding out people who signed up to serve this country. It seems antithetical. It seems like when you you wear that uniform, you've made the decision to defend this country, not to attack it. How how are the rank and file reacting to that concept that, that um, Lloyd Austin laid
1: out in public? Uh, this has been a very difficult one for service members and we hear from uh, veterans as well because again, everybody, I, at least everyone I've served with along the way, has always agreed that diversity uh, is, it's actually natural and it's, it's normal. Our military does a phenomenal job in diversity. Uh, we've always had an inclusive spirit. And there are places where it's been uh, less equitable or less fair, we, everybody recognizes that. But I served in the Navy uh, in the early 90s. Uh, we had openly gay, we had blacks, Puerto Ricans, Hispanics, Jews, the entire range. And the real truth is we look across to our brothers and our sisters in arms, and by and large, People operate well, even when there are tensions that belie, you know, underneath the surface. Yeah. But those tensions are usually handled by what we've always stood up for, and we've always saluted with, it, which is the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Yeah, that's like right. UCMJ that allows for the uh, leaders and for you know the rank and file to discipline within the ranks before a contentious issue that is natural among humans gets out of hand. So now, as we see this sort of um, let's call it the indictment of all who are of a certain race, uh, this is harmful to the, to the morale, again, of the service members. So that hurts on recruitment, it hurts on retention. People are really, first and foremost, confused. You know, Why did this happen all of a sudden? What happened all of a sudden? So, so it really takes a little bit of um, insight to go back and look at what happened here and why are we in this space?
0: Yeah, uh, it's really a great, a great moment. When, um, uh, as we, and you've talked about the Uniform Code of Justice, uh, military justice, it has served us well. And yeah, listen, in any organization, we have millions of people there are going to be problems. Humans are humans. We have conflict. People do bad things. But when you look out, do you see systemic racism as an issue that the military has to grapple with? Or is it a sideshow that's distracting us from our core mission?
1: Our our core mission, again, is to defeat the enemy, which is we've got to build ships, tanks, bombs. The Navy released a memorandum on on June 4th that said, uh, we really need to prioritize submarines, jets, and ships, but we don't have the money to do it, so we're gonna cut two of those away and only prioritize one. So they're sacrificing material goods that can defend the nation to chase things that maybe are a little bit subjective and have not been defined. And one of the problems we're seeing is the military, the Department of Defense, who has used the word extremism since 2012, it's, in, it's embedded in some of their uh, policy and regulation directives, yeah. has never defined what extremism is. Now, you and I know that that leads to some ambiguity so that every commander will now have to decide on their own kind of how to chase that or how to define it. And once again, we compare that to what's already there and available, which is the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So we, we, we are just asking simply that our leaders, who are adding uh, layers of vagary or ambiguity are leading to problems in the ranks because now you stand in front of a group of uh, service members and say half of you hate the other half. Now let's go to war together. Those are tough prospects, and and yeah. we want to make sure before we do that we're very careful about how we embed new doctrines.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, uh, and I think a lot more thought. There seems to be a lot of emotion driving this right now in political theatrics, but it has to be thought through carefully because. The ecosystem of the military has got many other pressures on it besides this. It's going to be fascinating to watch it play out. We have had pretty long wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. We've drawn down pretty substantially in Iraq. We're about to draw down to the near end of Afghanistan. What, As someone who has particularly you know, tremendous expertise in military intelligence, what is the outcome when we pull our troops out of Afghanistan later this year?
1: I think everybody has uh, sort of forewarned about the violence and the sort of uh, vacuum that will be created, in which we expect the Taliban to fill that vacuum. And I don't think that's a, a big secret. I, I right. think what really, though, becomes a, a question of we've known that since really 2003. And so a real question we would ask, and this goes right back to the push for uh, things like diversity or you know changing you know, the policies, we would really ask our senior leaders, uh, to, are you not divining strategy for what we should be doing there? What is the clear objective on the ground? Because when we do pull out or when this does happen, we're going to see uh, violence. We're going to see an increase and an uptick. So have we not been planning for this? Is this something that was uh, we're unaware of? And so we would go right back to the senior leadership and say, before you start delving into the thought patterns and behaviors of our service members who, as, as again, Secretary Lloyd Austin says, uh, or some some of you are enemies within, before you start discussing that, shouldn't you be uh, taking care of the problem right in front of us, which is what are we doing in Afghanistan? What is the tactical objective? What is the strategic objective? And then how do we achieve those? And if you can't achieve those, what's the plan for withdrawal? And the Department of Defense has not clearly articulated this. So we really, we're very really concerned about um, the focus of our leadership, which ought to be on war, war fighting, and winning wars, but it looks something, uh, it looks like it's something different.
0: Yeah. Such an important challenge that I think uh, a lot of Americans are just starting to wake up to, I know inside the military, these questions have been pondered for years now as we've tried to figure our exit strategy. But, uh, for a lot of Americans they are just coming for the first time to, to, uh, come to grasp what, what happens and, and, and what we gained and what we could lose in, in that, uh, uh, venue. It's going to be remarkable. You, um, You have talked about the challenges going forward, and and obviously China's a big one, uh, getting to uh, a a moment of readiness. How much did readiness improve in the four years under President Trump, and how much more do we still have to go to have the ready forces that our commanders feel are at the top of their game?
1: So that's that's such a good question. Readiness has a number of aspects to it. Right. One of of those is morale, and I think we saw that uh, when the morale changes for the forces, You know, that has a positive impact on readiness. Morale is one aspect. Material goods are another. And so under Secretary Mattis, you know, the National Defense Strategy in 2017 suggests we ought to get uh, more ships. We ought to to beef up our armed forces. We need to be able to fight near peer rivals. So that was stated. It was bipartisan. Uh, People have encoded it in the law. So in one sense, the morale and the emotive or, if you will, the ethos of the force had been improving. But um, really, to make a bipartisan case, both uh, between Trump and between uh, President Biden now, we're still suffering on the material aspects So, material, chips, guns, boats. uh, We have a flat budget this year. And. Uh, We are reducing the number of shicks from 296 to about, uh, we're reducing it by eight rather than increasing it to catch up to that 355. When you and I have discussed the um, sort of the chase for extremism or diversity, um, this started under President Trump. And so what we we know is these are bipartisan conditions that are hampering uh, what you're asking about, which is the combat effectiveness and the actual ability for us to stand up, toe-to-toe with near peer rivals. So we're just saying, listen, your military experts have been telling you for years what to do and how to build the strongest uh, armed forces. Now it's up to Congress to interpret that and then to go back to the presidency and create a budget that supports that. And we know what you want based on your budget. So when we see flat budgets and we see a reduction in ship numbers, we just want to make sure that, hey, if you have an alternative way of deploying the military to face down near peer rivals, we should probably know that, and we don't at this point. So that, that's the gap here. We got better in certain realms, certain aspects, but we haven't fixed the main problem, which is when we don't have all the boats, when we don't have all the guns, the boats, the ships, the planes, our soldiers and service members get burnt out on op, back-to-back you know, deployments. The tempo tempos too high, right. and we run the risk of reducing that morale.
0: Really important. In fact, you just wrote a great column on, on morale and why it's so important to readiness and, and all of our capabilities. And you know, we know that in sports, right? If we watch a team when their team's all together and they got good morale, they said to go on winning streaks, right? We can't, we have to take into account the morale of our forces. And sometimes that gets lost in, in the conversations that we have. I thought your column the other day really, really struck a, a really important note on that. Um, I want to flip to Iran for a second. Obviously, you served in Iraq, so you saw Iran's meddling hand on the ground, the IEDs, all the terrible things that they work through, the rebels. We have had this kind of unusual moment in the Iran relationship. President Trump was clear he was going to reverse the Iran nuclear deal. He did. President Biden's been clear he wants to come back and try to reengage it. But as he's reengaging it, we're seeing Iranian-backed rebels attack our troops. We had to launch some uh, missile strikes or... Um, uh, um, sorties this weekend to take out some Iranian-backed rebel sites on the ground uh, in Syria and uh, uh, Iraq because they were attacking our troops. How, confl- uh, how is this conflict playing out? We want to have a peace deal with I- Iran, that's what we keep talking about in this administration, yet their actions on the ground are not peaceful. They're, they're actually threatening, menacing, and in some cases wounding our troops. How do we reconcile those two things?
1: That's such a such a precise uh, good question, and I think we have to look at kind of the history uh, between our states. And as you said, in the early stages of Iraq, and as we were uh, learning more about the forces that were coming in from multiple regions, uh, there was a huge effort uh, for us to paint the picture that Iran was a nefarious, malicious actor uh, and introducing violent. Um, you know, means and weaponry and personnel into the theater. They never stopped that, um, but we never got to paint the picture up uh, high enough to really inform what would be political leadership, civilian oversight, such that it penetrated sort of uh, national security, you know, cabinet and policy. So the point there is we've known this for a long time, but because we never actually made a statement a deliberate statement about aggressing uh the malignancy that was coming from iran we found ourselves sort of uh patsy playing patsy a little footsie with them from a rhetorical stance and if you're iran this uh this has been training you over the last 10 and 20 years really to consider the united states as more of a paper tiger now what caught them off guard what caught iran off guard uh were two things the uh sort of the Maybe a little bit more, but I'm simplifying this uh, yeah. during the um, during the late 2000s when they're. A nuclear reactor facility uh, was actually a virus was introduced to right. kind of shut that down. Right. So that debilitated. Number two, the next thing that really caught him off guard was the strike on Soleimani under President Trump. That sure did. Uh, you remember the carping about that from uh, both sides, really, at the time that were worried, but that significantly debilitated the senior leadership of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards' could force, and that was a that was a very remarkable moment. Now we're in the sort of post uh, Soleimani. And uh, again, you see that tension between the rhetorical sort of uh, move towards peace and the -the on-the-ground tactical violence and also their malignancy in introducing that, uh, their sort of proxy, proxying the government of Iraq at the same time. This is a very difficult, difficult tension, but what is not helping is when the senior leaders, civilian oversight, presidents, and national security cabinets are not clear about their direction. Yeah. That allows for Iran, who is an old empire, they understand the ways of the world, they have backing by folks like Russia and China as necessary. They can introduce complexities that if we're not thinking about those, we run right into the middle of these quagmires, these sort of traps. So dealing with them has been difficult, and I would suggest that the United States uh, ought to be more deliberate about our security cooperations in the region. That's what the Gulf states and others can force and put pressure on it but also taking the right types of decisive action in places where we are in sort of proximity to these forces and that's been a tricky uh, battle I, I don't envy either president biden or or trump in their um in their sort of facing iran but but deliberation absolutely helps and the clarity of the senior leaders is is what is missing
0: yeah that amb- ambiguity begets uh uh, courage on the side of our enemies. When we're ambiguous, they they seem to become more uh, aggressive. And and right. uh, there's been a moment of ambiguity over the last few months where you're beginning to see that aggression take uh, take place. Whether it's Hamas in Israel or the uh, 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 Iranian-backed rebels in in the Iraq Syria region, um, there was a clarity before and a consequence if you acted up that they're not sure they're going to face any longer and.
1: That's right. And let's not forget that, you know, we watched, and, and this is embarrassing for those of us who are service members our sailors who are you know, captured by an Iranian boat. Um, those are the type of things that when you don't stand up and you don't make clear statements in uh, adversity towards that, you really do lead your enemy down a road of, of challenge. So, you know, our members in the Association of the United States Navy, they, they're proud. And they want to remain proud. They want to serve the flag and they want to be, they don't mind being on the front lines or being in proximity of danger, but they want to do it under the clear clarion call of a leader who is protective of our forces and our national interests. What they, what what is hard for us uh, is just ambiguity on the battlefield.
0: Are you and are the members of the Association of of the U.S. Navy concerned a little bit that Biden doesn't have that clarity right now? Where do you stand on his early tenure as president?
1: So, we, we, you know, it's hard to always get inside the heart or the mind of a leader. So, we have to look at their actions. So, we'll judge things like the budget. What we said earlier is the budget's going to tell us, uh, members and service members and really citizens, where are your priorities? And your budget prioritizes things like diversity or inclusion or, you know, chasing extremism or domestic terrorism. Those are your priorities. You said this in a, in a memo, in the senior memo again in June 4th. You said what is not critical are boats and submarines and jets. We're going to leave two of those behind. What is critical is diversity and inclusion. Sure. So, you know, we're reading the tea leaves, which are suggesting that we haven't increased the budget. Uh, we're losing ships. So we have to surmise. That the emphasis the critical emphasis for the military now is no longer about pacing china or facing china for that matter but rather it's about um going into our ranks and determining which people think right that we think is is the real tension here
0: yeah such an important such an important objective to get that what is right what is the mission how clear is it uh uh to everyone and such an important thing Last thing, uh, uh, Jason, as people follow your work, I know I know you write on Fox News, I've seen you on the Daily Signal, you're on Twitter. Uh, what are all the best ways to stay in contact? I think people really appreciate your insights and analysis. I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, things you write. And so how do, how do we all stay in touch with what you're doing and also with what the Association of the U.S. Navy is doing?
1: Well, thank you for asking, I appreciate that. We're trying to make it simple. So at the AUSN.org, AUSN.org, we we hang a lot of what we're talking about. We wanna write and we want it to be accessible to our members, Uh, but you can follow us too on um, Twitter and Facebook, it's at AUSN, the number one, that's our Facebook, Uh Uh, it's a great place to engage. Uh, But come in, we'd love to have you as membership and I'm, I'm I'm gonna make a plea to your audience. The senators and congressional representatives, uh, the administrators of the Department of Defense, and even the White House, when they hear from our constituents uh, through letters or uh, petitions or things like this, how do you feel about what's happening in the military? They listen. It actually changes things. I've been on the inside of an administration. So important. Absolutely. So we want to try to make that easy. Here's what we need you to do. Join us, become a member of the Association of the United States Navy. We'll try to make it easy for you and, and and spot what's happening in D.C. So you can come alongside, help us support your voice. If you love this country and if you think that it's important uh, to value our military, help us say that. And we'll take your voice and facilitate it in, into the dialogue. So come on over to AUSN.org. Uh, give us a look. Um, you can follow me. I'm Jason R. Beardsley on on Twitter, uh, Jason R. Beardsley on LinkedIn. So. Uh, that's an easy place to find me, but to be honest, all the work I'm doing now is to try to represent members of our association as we go through and navigate, uh, what I'll call what you said was, was, was wonderful. The zenith of our, of our American experience that 245 years and everything I want to do is about supporting that and making sure we get another 245 out of her.
0: We all want that. There's no doubt about it. And, um, Jason, on behalf of a grateful nation on this, our 245th birthday weekend, I want to thank you first for your amazing service in our armed forces as a special operator. Secondly, for all the work you're doing with veterans and third for the important work you're doing to give voice to all of those in the association of the U S Navy and really all veterans and fighting men and women active and inactive. Uh, You are always serving your country. And for that, we are really, really grateful.
1: Well, thank you. And and the the one final thing I'll leave our audience with today is um, the antidote to hatred or discontent or division is is what the Scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In all things, give thanks. And if we can just be thankful and content we'll get through all the problems in front of us. So thank you for having us on today and uh, a very happy Independence Day to all of your uh, audience.
0: Amen, Jason. We're going to have you back on this show for certain. So thanks again and uh, enjoy the rest of the weekend.
1: You bet. Thank you.
0: All right, folks. We're going to go to quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up. I got a steak on my mind. I don't know why that is. I guess I got to get out and get on the grill, but we'll do that right after you come back from the commercial break.
1: Okay, it's time to commit.
0: all right folks welcome back for the commercial break i hope you enjoyed jason as much as i did what a what a remarkable man uh and you know just a a very cerebral thinker It, it every time we see someone turn their back on the flag or make a snide remark that something's wrong with america or try to reinterpret history to chagrin america when there's so much to be proud of hey listen there are problems our, our record in America not perfect. No one's perfect. I'm not perfect. We make mistakes. We've had dark moments and we failed it, whether it's Japanese internment, Jim Crow, well, we slavery. We went through those issues, but you know, on the over under, I would take America's record of goodness over anyone else in this world. And on a day like this, when we're celebrating and we also see a lot of people denigrating America with on our own, so our own people, uh, the Olympian who turned her back in the flag, all those. You know what? Remember that this country produces people as great as Jason Bearsley. A lifetime of service, heroism, special operator, Navy man. Uh, you heard his uh, passion for this country. You heard his passion for goodness. You heard his strong strategic thinking about how to keep our military first and foremost in the lead against our enemies. Any country that produces a man like Jason Bearsley has so much to be grateful. And on this day, how about we stop whining about what's wrong with America and celebrate all that's good with it? Because the over under on America is pretty darn good. I will put my reputation to that. That's not an opinion. That is a fact. All right, folks, have a blessed rest of this holiday weekend. Enjoy that liberty and independence that this day recognizes it is an amazing time to be an American still. Sure, we've got our challenges. Sure, we've got some things to work through, but on the over-under, uh, we're still an incredibly strong, uh, vibrant constitutional republic dedicated to liberty and freedom. That's what gets me up every morning and smiles, and it's why I do what I do here at Just the News, and I know it's why you do what you do in your life with your family, with your service to your country. We are grateful. Have a happy birthday, America. We'll be back tomorrow with our regular scheduled programming.